Good Looking Out, Episode 7, a podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to, because life is too short to waste time and money on bad shit. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. And just as a reminder, I co-host this podcast with Jason Santos, who will today be acting as a drill sergeant of culture, and he will be sparing no feelings or no colorful language, so if you have young kitties in the room, you might want to pause and play later or use headphones. All right, Jason, long time no see. Yeah, long time no see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's yeah, new? Good to be back. Um, what is new? Oh, I'm going to see Daniel Lanois tonight. Oh, Lanois. Right. Lanois. Yeah. Christian's going to see him, too. Oh, is he? Yeah. Cool. You might see him there. Yeah, I'm going with, with Jimmy Dears. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's at the Cedar. Cool. Um, which be I've awesome. never been there before. Yeah, I'm sorry. He is really good live. Christian and I had the chance to see him a few years ago. We were talking about working with him on a project. Oh, killer. And um, not an artistic project, uh, something for BMW uh, at Uh the time through work. And uh, super nice guy. No shit. Unbelievably nice and really, really good live, especially in that sort of, you know, theater kind of setting. Fuck. Yeah, I'm psyched. So you sat down with him. Yep, yeah, we sat down with him after the show and talked to him for like 10 minutes. Oh, fuck, and man. not only is he an, obviously a great artist, but he is an amazing, um, you know, sound producer. engineer and producer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Recorded, you know, some of the, the stuff that he did uh, both with Eno, but the stuff he recorded for U2 was just... Oh, my God. God. Unbelievably gorgeous sounding. He's, he's a game changer for anybody. He, so this last record store day... They released one of my, probably my all-time favorite Willie Nelson record, which is Teatro from the early oh, 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a really good record. It's so great. Um, they, it's never been released on vinyl, and they released it um, two platter, kind of 180 gram. And he, he produced that record, and wow. that's why it has such a signature sound to it. I mean, it's so rich, that thing. I'm so psyched to see him. Was he, did he play Lap Steel when you saw him? Um, I'm trying to remember. I think he might have had a lap steel player with him. Uh, sure. I don't know if he... The guy that he brought with him as, like, uh... No, no, I'm, I'm misremembering. He brought a percussionist who had a very stripped-down set, and this guy was an amazing drummer and percussionist. It was unreal. Oh, man. And uh, it was just him and this guy, and he played the guitar. I can't remember if he played lap steel or not. But the we had a guy sitting next to us who sang at the top of his voice <laughs> Shut up. and knew every single lyric. Like, this guy must have been... I, I don't know if he was following Daniel Lanois around the country or what the deal was. This guy was, like, a super fan. Who knows the words to his songs? They're so out. Like, yeah. holy shit. That's what must have been annoying as fucking hell. I, it um, did dampen the experience a little <laughs> bit, I, I have to say. But um, we can't really complain. His people got us... We we got in for free. We got free tickets. Yeah. We got to meet with him afterwards. And like I said, he was incredibly gracious, very creative and kind man. Fucking so hate. that's a good one. It's good to hear that you know that you like somebody that you really admire is also cool. Right? Yeah, absolutely. What's going on with you? What are you doing? Uh, well, today's my birthday. Fucking hey, that's so right. I forgot. Yeah, that's happy a birthday. Big thing. Yep. Yes, big forty-two years old. Yeah. So. Um, this weekend I am going to go check out this new, there's a new 
uh, a place people have been raving about in uh, northeast Minneapolis, which isn't a neighborhood that I get to very much. It's sort of an unexplored part of Minneapolis for the most part for me. And there's a taco place there called Mayan, Maya Cuisine. Yeah. And their deal is, like, you go down the line and they have tons of different... Like, they have chicken in three different kinds of sauces. They've got barbacoa. They've got, uh, you know, cabeza. They've got... All the different marinated porks and you know all the different stuff. So they just okay. like it's supposed to be like a taco palace, like super taco wonderland. So oh, shit. Well, that's uh, on Saturday we're gonna go there and I'm gonna have tacos for lunch and we're gonna go see the new Avengers movie, which I've heard is a piece of crap. Uh, but you know, right about the time this time every year around my birthday, there's some sort of mega action movie that's coming out for sure at the beginning yeah. of the summer. So May 1 starts the yeah. season. I'm, so. a, I'm almost fortunate to be able to go see the latest Iron Man or the latest this or the latest that. Um, so I personally, you know, I was a really big fan of the first Avengers movie. I think Joss Whedon did an amazing job with that. And what I heard with this one was that they cut over an hour of runtime. Like he turned it in at three hours and change, like three hours and 12 minutes. And they were like, Jesus. no way. And they gutted, they made him gut like an hour out of it, so I think a lot of the character development and nuance that he usually likes to put into his films was taken right out of it, so, you know, who knows, we'll see. We'll see. Who cares, right? I mean, you go, these blockbusters are just fun anyway. Yeah. So the other thing that always happens right around my birthday, besides some sort of car chase action (laughs) robots destroying the world superhero movie, is uh, right on the heels of my birthday is always Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this week, in honor of Mother's Day, uh, we wanted to theme everything around that. So we're going to be talking about lots of uh, important ladies in these categories. We're even going to touch on some, uh, for food, some home cooking with mom. Yeah, this is a good one. This is, I like it. So uh, first, we, we're, this week, we're going to kick off with Watch. And for this one, we wanted to talk about best... Uh, female protagonist in a movie. Yeah. Um, and obviously that can also translate to best female lead, best female actress, yep. um, which is, you know, an important part of the discussion, obviously, as well. So, you want to kick us off? What do yeah, you got? Yeah, sure. Um, this one, this is a really hard one, actually. Yeah. Um, you, it's, you, I don't know, you think, it seems like it would be easy that you just have a real favorite that sticks out and easy go-to and and I immediately went to like um, all about Eve. Mm. You know, Betty right. Davis. That's such a super strong like role. Yeah. And also Sunset Boulevard with Gloria Swanson. Like those are like massively like they're built around those those women. Right. You know, those movies are written for them, and like they ran the show. You know, and they're and they're amazing. Um. And then I'll tell you the it's I the one that ended up winning for me was um it well I was down I was in between um La Femme Nikita um It's funny you say that because I also thought of that. Really? Yeah. It, it's the French one. Of course. Like not the Bridget what Bridget Fonda. Yeah, no. I, no. That wasn't even called um La Femme Nikita, was it? It was called like Point of No Return uh, or something along those lines. It was some, bo- yeah, it was something like that. It, I mean, it was so close to the to the original, though. Like there, it was there were some sequences that were shot for shot. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because the first movie is fucking genius. Yeah, like La Femme Nikita is so good. Um, so I struggled between that and Uma Thurman in Kill Bill, 
And that's where I wound up was Uma Thurman. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. That is also my pick. No. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I, the I'll, Bride. I'll have to go with my backup pick, I guess. Oh. I, I mean, not that we can't have the same one, but yeah, The Bride was my ultimate choice as well. No because, shit. I mean, that movie is so epic and so killer. Fuck, both of them are just so fucking good. And what's better than a revenge story, right? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that's going to drive you more than <laughs> drives a character more than revenge. I love the, you know. Right. And, and God, she's a, so a great, great female cast of characters overall. Like oh, you said, Daryl sure. Hannah's awesome. Um, so Lucy Liu. The whole backstory with the animated, uh, oh. the animation worked in to talk about how Lucy, Lu- Lucy character. Liu's character, her like origin story, so to speak, done in the like awesome it, Japanese style animation. Oh my god! So killer. It's it's so genius. I mean that guy. You know, it, I so in our last. Um, episode, we I, we talked a little bit about Pulp Fiction, too, and, you know, I'll always, like, I don't know, I, I that maybe should have been in there, now that we're kind of talking about Tarantino, I mean, he's just, I mean, he's a fucking master, I don't care, you yeah. know, what you think of him as a person, like, his movies are... A Reservoir of Dogs is a, is a <sighs> seminal film. Yeah, right? I, and I, I know that the plot is basically cribbed from a Hong Kong action film, but it doesn't really matter. No, you know, every plot is basically crib from something or other. Yeah. So to, oh, yeah. to take the 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 master plot from something and turn it into what Reservoir Dogs ended up being. Reservoir Dogs is there's you know it's unique in its own right and it's, the, it's what you end up with is all that matters. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything's a bastard or something. Yeah. You know, but yeah, Uma Thurman. I mean, she's so fucking cool too. Right. I mean, she's so badass. Um, and. I mean, he pulls no punches. He never does. But, I mean, like, you know, she wakes, like, after, I mean, what happens to her, what goes down, and, like, getting shot in that church, obviously, is, like, the mo- when she's at the altar. Actually, it was during the rehearsal, wasn't it? Yeah. But she's pregnant. Right. I mean, it's like... And you don't actually find, you don't find any of that part of it out yeah, until I was just the second to, movie. I that's, was just that's how trying the, to do that in the, my head, uh, yeah. The beginning of the second movie opens with you finally finding out what exactly happened. Okay. See, I always, yeah, I, I, I it's so tough with, um, with films like that that are, they're genius in the way that the story unfolds, because when you're left with it, I've seen both of them half a dozen times, at least, and um, you just, when you, th- when you remember it, you just remember the whole story. You don't remember the really the sequence, at least for me, when I think of those movies. I don't remember the sequence of Volume 1, then Volume 2, and what happens. I just remember, like, her being... It just lives in my head as this yeah. one badass chick. Just whooping ass. The whole, I mean... Yeah. It's so fucking good. Man. After they both came out, did they do a thing in some theaters where they showed them back-to-back? Um, I'm sure they did. I never, I never saw that, but I'm sure that happened. Yeah. Yeah, she's so cool, man, and, and I I love her really across the board. I think she's she's super cool. Yeah, she is. I've always had a crush on her. She is really her. cool. I don't know what Ethan Hawke did to fuck that up. Seriously, that was like a serious. What are you doing? Serious man? mess up. <laughs> yeah, honest to God. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the things that I love about her, and one of the reasons why I wanted to pick her, is not only is she so good at the action stuff, but and this is to Tarantino's credit too. She's she plays a very nuanced character. In that, like, you kind of watch her go from this sweet, innocent, you know, she's like, 
a hit woman, but she has this still this retained sort of innocence. No about question. Her. Yeah. And the fact that anyone would think that you know, and, and bordering on a naivete, obviously her naivete caused her the fact that she thought she could go away from Bill was the whole catalyst for the film. Um, but the just the sweet way she interacts. Um, you know, when she's in the fight scene with the Vivica A. Fox character and the, oh, the daughter walk comes home from school and um, just the way that she interacts there and all that kind of stuff. And with just, Bill, too. She's yeah. super sweet with Bill. Remember when, like, when he shows up to the rehearsal and, yep. you know, will you walk me down the aisle or will you give me away or something like that? And, yeah, there's that, it's a, it's a deep character for sure. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, she's great, man. God. And... Ultimately, that sort of uh, the depth or the layered portrayal of that was one of the reasons. The other person that I, the other female protagonist um, that I thought of was Ripley from Alien. Oh, Sigourney shit. Weaver. Yeah, how did that never even? That wasn't even in my list. That's oh, for sure. Yeah. Fuck, that's a that's up there. She Sigourney Weaver, though. I mean, I love the Alien franchise. I love it. But somehow, I don't know. She's not as dynamic as it's definitely a less nuanced performance. It's exactly. Thank like, you. Yeah. I'm just a hard badass. I'm like, uh, it's almost like she becomes a man to like compete with the men or to to That's operate a really... in a man's world where the bride character retains femininity and retains her soul and sort of who she is, but is still able to be a badass and compete in the, you know, and ultimately defeat. That's know. a great, yeah, that's a great insight. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, she's robbed of, like, some super, speaking, I mean, kind of shit, speaking of Mother's Day, I mean, she's robbed of some of, like, there's some serious shit that goes down. I mean, she gets raped, baby gets killed in utero. There's some shit that goes down. <laughs> that character, yeah, right? No, no spoilers. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. What? It's fucking Kill Bill shit, sorry. Yeah. I mean, you, you find out within the first ten minutes that, you know, that she's lost her baby. Shit. Sorry. Hey, spoiler alert. Lost her baby. <laughs> lost her baby, yeah. Um, yeah, but if you have, I mean, Christ, if you, if, you, if you haven't seen Kill Bill yet, then what the hell are you waiting for? I mean... Yeah, you should stop listening to this podcast and go watch fucking a. both the movies right away. Yeah, for sure. All right, so, well, that was easy, since we're that both in agreement. easy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of us should have come up with, like, I don't know, I'm Mary Tyler Moore and something. Or <laughs> yeah, I know, really. Something completely different I know. and off the cuff. La Femme de oh, Mary Tyler Moore is the mom in ER? That's my pick. <laughs> uh, anyway, so moving on. Uh, next, we had Eat. Oh, nice. And for this category, as an homage to our mothers... Uh, the topic was best dish your mom made when you were a kid. This was so easy for me. I want you. I want to hear from you first. Though. It, you got some sort of Portuguese delicacy yes, of here. Of course, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so my mom uh, learned to cook from her mother, and this was they were by no means sort of. This was like down home. You know, not everything necessarily from scratch. It was like cooking for convenience, cooking for a family. And despite that, obviously, you know, those dishes are what you what you eat and grow up with, you always have a certain nostalgia for. Oh, yeah. Uh, even though other people may or may not like them. And the two things that immediately popped uh, to mind for me in this category was my mom used to make this homemade 
uh, chicken noodle soup that she would make anytime we were sick, but she would also make it in the winter, and uh, she would make it with dumplings that were made from scratch. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and, you know, doing that, my, all my, uh, you know, uh, lineages, Norwegian and German, you know, cultures that Lots are very fond of dumplings and yeah. bland food. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this uh, chicken noodle soup that she used to make was dead simple. It was basically these, like, big sort of, like, look like big fluffy clouds, these big pillowy dumplings in a chicken broth with a certain amount of, like, pulled sort of chicken meat as well and carrots. And that was it, like That's chopped it. up carrots. Super simple, but really... Uh, heartwarming and you know just delicious, just very pure. So it's not far from um, a matzo ball soup, really. No, it isn't. Is it? it is. You know, every culture has a dumpling of some form or other. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I grew up eating that. But the, the, the it's funny because I just talked about that for five minutes. It's not actually the thing I picked. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I picked, and um, this was must have been like a working class or like very poor German thing or something that emerged. I mean, my grandmother was like a child of the Depression. Right. So, um, and she used to make this dish, and she passed it on to my mom. And when it was our birthday, speaking of which, uh, since today is my birthday, uh, in our house, you always got to pick the meal that my mom made for the evening. Yeah. And I always picked, without fail, spaghetti uh, with tomato sauce and hot dogs. Really? Hot dogs sliced up, put in the, <laughs> in the tomato sauce. It sounds... sounds uh, very disgusting, but trust me, if you've never tried it, it's absolutely delicious. Oh, I'm and sure, It's yeah. basically in place of meatballs, because meatballs, one, time-intensive, but also expensive. You know, you're paying for usually beef and pork and cheese yep. and breadcrumbs and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think what happened was, in my grandmother's family, it just evolved that, like, oh, well, we'll just take hot dogs, chop them up, put them in, same sort of thing. It's not as expensive as ground beef. It's not as expensive as making these meatballs from scratch. So, um, but I developed a taste for this. My little brother didn't like it as much. Like, whenever he got to choose, he would pick, like, spaghetti with a more traditional kind of meat sauce with sort of ground beef. Um, And I just could not get enough of this, like, tangy tomato sauce with these hot dogs over spaghetti. I just thought it was, like, the most delicious thing. When I moved out and started cooking for myself... I would make it once or twice a week. I love that. That was like <laughs> once or twice freedom a to me was like, I can make this dish as much as I want. That's freedom. <laughs> and then I eventually learned to cook. And, you know, now I would never make that. I yeah. would use like, obviously, really awesome Italian sausage or something. But you'd be like psyched that. if your mom made it for you. Yeah. Right? I probably would. I mean, there's something like, I think when you're young, you would get, you don't know that you're just tasting, like there's something about your mom cooking for you. It's it's how you show it's how I show my kid that I love him. Yeah, you know what I mean. And my wife, when I cook for people that I care about, it's how I show love. And I think moms do that with their kids too. So that's what that's half the reason you love the dish, right? Yeah, because your mom loves you and she made it for you. That's what for sure. Yeah, that's why you love it so much. I mean, my dish I love so much because it's the most delicious thing in the entire world. <laughs> And because my mom makes it. All right, all right, drop some Portuguese knowledge on us. <laughs> so um, she did a few, she learned to cook um, kind of from her mom, also uh, a, um, a depression, she, she was uh, a child of the depression, uh, my grandmother. And um, so, yeah, she learned to cook from her mom a bit. Um, they were as well um, definitely low, lower class, um, very poor. 
so there were, um, and they ran an egg farm, and so there were tons of, <laughs> lots of scrambled eggs, um, but again, I, I don't want to digress too much, um, as she, so my mom's white, white as hell, um, but when she married, um, uh, my dad, the, uh, who's Portuguese, um, that kind of took over the Portuguese culture, wiped out. Not that there was a lot of white culture in there anyway. There, what, yeah. you know, wiped out the the non non-existent, non-flavorful <laughs> non- white bread culture. Existent yeah. wasp influence yeah. in the family just basically, yeah, just keeled over. Um, and the Portuguese just blow blew over it. So she started to learn to cook from you know, started to learn to cook a lot of Portuguese dishes. And one of the Biggest, um, like, universally known Portuguese dishes is caldo verde, which is kale soup. Hmm. Um, it's traditionally made with, um, it's, I I think, it's my understanding, the the way that I eat it is people from southeastern mass, like, there's a particular way that kale soup is made, and, like, it's an, I think it's probably an American Portuguese type of soup. I think in Portugal, I haven't been, um, but the way I've seen it all the time is it's blended, and it's super green and bright green, and that's why it's called caldo verde. The way we eat it is not as good-looking, to be honest, but it's so fucking good. It's it's a shitload of kale, broth. It's it's not complicated. Lots of linguiça, uh, which is um Portuguese version of... I, I would say it's a Portuguese version of, of chorizo, but okay. chorizo is actually the Portuguese version of of chorizo. But it's also a spicy sausage. It's also a spicy sausage. So but out of what sort of meat? Pork. Pork. Okay. Yeah, they're spicy all spicy pork sausage. It's a p- spicy pork sausage. Um, chorizo as well. So it's tough to. Hmm. I don't know the difference between. I don't know how to really explain the difference between the two. They just kind of taste a little bit different. Yeah. Um, we use linguiça. Some people use chorizo. Um, onion, carrot. In beans, that's a point of contention with some people. What kind of beans? Um, my mom uses red kidney beans. Um, okay. I use I use white uh, navy beans. Right. Doesn't but, it sound like a million miles away from something like an Italian wedding soup? No, it's not. It, it's not at all. It, um, there's no pasta in oh, in, right. in yeah. this. Um, there's no. The only starch is a potato. Um, mm. But. It's just, it's that just, awesome. it's the first thing I ever ate. Like she, and she made it all the time and it went in the blender and that was the first thing that I ever ate. And my grandmother used to make it and she had a house. My dad was the last of seven kids and then everybody and their brother was at her house all the time. So I remember they, they died when I was pretty young. Um, but, um, I do remember going over to their house. They lived next door and being over there and, other people would show up, and it was just famous. She, my grandmother could give a shit about if anything tasted good. She would just wants to drink and have fun with everybody. So people <laughs> would show up, and it would be like, and she would tell my mom, all right, go pour another, like, quart of water into the soup. And more people would show up, and she'd pour more water in. And by the end of it, it was just, like, fucking a couple of green leaves floating in kind of cloudy water because <laughs> my grandmother was just drinking and, and bullshit with everybody and just, you know... Keep, you're going to feed everybody, right? right. Just keep adding yeah, yeah. water to it. And everybody's so gassed by the time you're starting to eat that right. we give a shit anyway. But my mom, you know, when she was cooking for us, it was, it's still the same. And she still makes it every time I go home 
to see if she makes a batch before I get there. As with most soups, it's better a couple days after you make it. Right, yeah. So she makes it when a couple days before I get in town, boom, I land in the house. First thing I do is heat up a bowl of kale soup. It's the best. Awesome. Yeah. And so do you eat it with, like, a crusty bread? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah? Yep, yeah. I do the best I can here um, to re- find um, a Portuguese-style roll. It's a pretty um, distinct thing, anybody from southeastern. And I've had Portuguese rolls in other parts of the country where there are large Portuguese populations, and it's not the same. New Bedford, Fall River, there's a very specific kind of roll that is a Portuguese roll, and it's fucking amazing. Um, the closest I've found here is the baguette at Salty Tart. Hmm, interesting. So, um, I'll, have to ma- I'll have to make you a, a linguiça sandwich on, on a Salty Tart roll. It's yeah, that pretty great. awesome. Yeah. I, I welcome that anytime you're yeah. ready to bring it. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Now I'm homesick. Now I miss yeah. my mom. Yeah. Uh, happy Mother's Day out there to yes. both the, uh, my mom, yeah. Vicki Baker, and... My mom, Rita Santos. I miss her. Yeah. Uh, next category we want to talk about for Listen, Best Female Vocalist. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming you're Xene. No, uh, <laughs> no, be Houston. No, I, I actually let me try. Let me try and guess. Yeah, I'm, I'll never fucking guess you on this one. I have to. I have to say, uh, you know, this one. You know, you want to go with someone like a Lucinda Williams or yeah, uh, Killian Welch. Yep. You know, which I thought about doing that, and then it was like, oh, here's going to be two two people in a row from the Old Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. <laughs> oh yeah, that's but, right. Yeah. Um, ultimately, when it came down to it, when I went to the female artist that I listen to over and over and over again, who I also think has an amazing voice, um, and it's just an amazing songwriter, I went with Nico Case. Oh, wow. Yeah, nice one. So, um, and if anyone hasn't ever seen the uh, Nico Case performance that happened, I think around a year ago, um, at the Tiny Desk, the Tiny Desk concert that NPR does, go to YouTube right now and um, Google Tiny Desk Nico Case. Um, they played on Halloween, so the band, entire band plays in costume. And the performance is, if you had any doubt that Nico Case has an unbelievable, incredible voice, you can see in this very stripped-down, non-studio, non-sort of music, traditional music venue format, she just kills it. And her voice sounds amazing, and the woman who's backing her up and singing harmony is also unbelievable, and their voices together just are Unreal. I've never seen that. I gotta, I gotta see that. So, um, yeah, it's definitely one of the, I would say, one of the better, more original sort of um, Tiny Desk concerts. But uh, I am going to play a couple of tracks here for, and it's, I think it's a crime if anyone out there hasn't heard of Nico Case. But, yeah. Uh, here's, here's a couple of songs, and I'm going to start with the one that she opens with on the Tiny Desk concert called Night Still Comes. Makes drugs to keep me slow. A hilarious joke for some dead pharaoh. But now, not even the masons know what drug will keep that from coming. There are so many tools that are made from my hands. 
smashes all my best laid plans to send. And there's always someone to say it's easy for me. But I revenge myself all over myself. There's nothing you can say to me. So, Nico Case, with She's or without awesome. her boyfriends, with or without, you know, a full band. You know, I, I love all the solo stuff, and um, I'm just going to play one more song real quick. Um, I, I picked out another slow one, but I, I also just love the song. This is I Wish I Was the Moon, off Blacklisted. two slow ones she obviously has some rocking songs too that oh, are just sure. as good I've got like a massive Spotify list of all of her stuff that um, I just I'll put on and listen to her for hours at a time while I'm doing some work or writing or doing whatever and um, I just think you know across all of her records that she's put out have been totally solid and she has an amazing voice amazing lyrics amazing songwriter and she always picks top-notch people obviously to accompany with her and you could hear some speaking of lap steel on that i wish i was the moon track there's oh, some yeah. awesome lap steel on there as well so now the new pornographers were her yep. band as well which yeah. i love that band yeah um there was a, there was one song in particular um something out from all sp- across, out from loudspeakers or God, there's one song, there's one new pornographer song I remember when it first came out. I, I listened to it over and over again for like a month. I, I was obsessed with it. Mm. I've been I've been a fan of hers for a long time. Have you ever seen her? Uh, no, I've never seen her live. Yeah, she's but, great. Yeah. Awesome. All right, cool. so what's your pick? I'll tell you what, I, I think I just I think I just changed my mind. Oh really? On the spot. Yeah, because listening to that, um Yeah, so I came in with Ella Fitzgerald. Um because, well, I, I mean, everyone knows Ella Fitzgerald, and, and um, I was just trying to think of, of someone that, um, there's a, there's something that I, every time I hear Ella Fitzgerald, it's, it feels very much like home, um, and there's not a lot of things in the world that can give you that feeling, and she does that for me, and it's immediate, like, as soon as I hear her. Like, I feel like everything's all right, you know? But if... God, it's tough. 
I, I but I don't listen to her as much as I listen to Patti Smith. Hmm. Um, and God, I you know what? I don't know. This is the worst. I do this every time. I never <laughs> I never choose. Uh, you know what? I'm sticking with and now that I'm sticking with Ella Fitzgerald. She is she is Patty Smith, I mean I love, right? I mean she's yeah. She's amazing. I think she's groundbreaking. I think she's done so much for like modern music. I, I really think she's super important. Um but but yeah, Ella Fitzgerald, I mean there's there's something about her her, her recordings with with Louis Armstrong are like I know that they're you know, they're standards at this point. Uh, I mean, everyone has listened to them, but they never get old for me. Will, will you? I don't have my machine. Will you play? Sure. Uh, we're going to start um, here with um, a song off the best of uh, of Ella Fitzgerald. It's Dream a Little Dream of Me. makes her so great is I mean a million things but she has this way of like juxtaposing imperfection with just angelic singing like she is she has this way of like coming in right behind the beat where she's just lagging just a little bit you know and there's moments where she kind of just will drop off of something and she'll like just drop off a note or something and you're like you know, she feels human, but then she just hits effortlessly, like, this soaring note and with that amazing vibrato, and you're just like, holy shit, how is that even a human, you know? And she's high as fuck on half of them, you know? Right, And, yeah, yeah. like, it's, it's just a level of genius that, I mean, is so rare. Uh, I mean, she's just, I, I don't know how to... Doesn't she... Uh, I want to say that there are some sequences of her singing in famous Hollywood movies where it's obviously she's not, you know, playing herself. She's just playing the singer or whatever. But I want to say that there's like a, a famous, um, I, you know, I'm not like a scene from a, from yeah. like a, a well-known movie that yeah, sounds absolutely. familiar. And I feel like I knew about that at some point and forgot about it. I, I don't remember what it is now, but yeah. So, yeah, I have to say, I'm probably not as um, fluent as I should be in the, you know, catalog and career of Ella Fitzgerald. I probably spent more time with Billie Holiday than I did with Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's another one. amazing in her own right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Incredibly unique voice. Yeah. I remember exactly where I was when she she died, actually. Really? Yeah. 
I was filling up my. I was in Clinton, Massachusetts, which is the only thing in Clinton, Massachusetts, is the Weetabix factory, um, and the entire town smells like cereal, and it's a bummer. That town is a fucking bummer. Um, and I was yeah, I was filling up my car. I had a super shitty car that I thought was gonna die every time I got in it, and um, yeah, I remember exactly that smell. Of the Weedabix factory and gas and my shitty car and hearing on the radio, uh, that sucked. All right, well, let's listen to uh, uh, one more. This is "They Can't Take That Away From Me" by Ella Fitzgerald. The way you wear your head, the way you sip your tea. The memory of all that No, no, they can't take that away from me The way your smile just beats The way you sing off key The way you haunt my dreams No, no, they can't take that away from me so great god i mean and she's so accessible too i mean it's pop music um but it's done by an absolute genius um you can't you're not gonna there's nothing bad there's you're not gonna find anything everything she's ever touched has turned to gold so if you if and it's not you don't need to be intimidated by it's super easy to listen to like put it on and and, and check it out she's it's technically jazz, but it's yeah. You know, jazz used to be popular music. It's all there was before yep. rock and roll came along, and before the blues was you know made legitimate. It was like she was one of the queens of big band and oh yeah, the whole scene. So it's like her and Louis Armstrong and yep, a few others. Yeah, she's yeah. I think people like at some somewhere along the line. I think people um. They, I don't know. I, it's cliche maybe to listen to her or something, but I you can't. I can't get enough of her. It's just like putting on an old coat or something that I've had forever. You know, she's just feels so good. I love her. Right. Absolutely. All right. So we've got one category left, and that was read. So the obvious uh, choice here was talk about favorite female author. You got something super obscure, don't you? I don't actually. Really? I think you'd be shocked at how non-obscure. My Are you serious? Is. I almost picked. Um, I was really wanted to pick um, uh, Megan Abbott, who is this female crime writer. She started off writing more traditional crime, and I've talked about her before on the podcast. Yes, now, yeah. now she writes more sort of like young adult, kind of high school or young yes. adolescent stuff meets sort of crime. And I she had you. this brilliant novel that people refer to as cheerleader noir called Dare Me that is an, a serious a textbook example of how to brilliantly build tension between characters uh, and drama and also how to develop really fascinating and nuanced characters. So anyone who wants to learn to write, you could do a lot worse than picking up Dare Me and reading it. But that wasn't what I picked. Uh, you know, I wanted to um, pick... Someone who I thought I could recommend to everyone. Someone that everyone, you know, man, woman, or child, should rush out and read these books. And they are unbelievably stellar books. And I don't think that they've gotten nearly enough credit. And uh, 
who I picked is Suzanne Collins. And so, of course, everyone, what comes to mind for everyone is The Hunger Games. Right. She's famous for The Hunger Games. Well, she has another series that w- was written for um, sort of young, a uh, much younger audience. I don't, not, I wouldn't say quite young adults. Helen has read these books. So, oh. uh, it's the Gregor the Overlander series by Suzanne Collins. Okay. That is specifically why I picked her. I mean, I think the Hunger Games are good. I really enjoyed the first one. I enjoyed the second one more than a lot of people. A lot of people are like, oh, after the first one, it's that series is just crap. Um, I actually in, enjoyed the whole series, the first and the second one, uh, better. I think as soon as they move away from the format of the games, it sort of starts to fall apart, and she's trying to find ways to add action and tension in, and that, in a way that's just not as strong as the first two. But in this Gregor the Overlander book, it is... Oh, so good. It's, uh, it's four books, uh, quartet, and um, it starts off with this um, boy whose his father is gone. His father's disappeared at some point, and his mother is pretty ill, so he ends up being sort of like kind of taking care of his two sisters. He has a, a younger sister who's like th- three, very young, toddler, and he has a, a this middle sister who's also sort of frail and sickly, but much more sort of introverted, sort of um, really into like math and puzzles and things like that. And um, she, this middle sister, plays an important part in the final book of the series. But for the most part, it's um, this uh, the older boy Gregor and his younger sister Boots. And what happens is they're down in their laundry room, and they get uh, sucked into this hole. Uh, through this vent, and they get pulled down by this, like, uh, into this air shaft that leads them down into this um, sort of underworld, so to speak, where um, it there's a race of humans that were led down there many years ago by this sort of, you know, what you come, come to understand is a prophet. Whether he's a false prophet or not is, like, part of the, uh, you know, contention of the book, but... It, it almost has the feel of some sort of like a doomsday cult or something like that. But also down there are um, mice and rats and bats that are that talk and have formed the society. And the humans are sort of in conflict or forming different alliances between the rats, the humans, uh, the bats, and the mice. Oh, and cockroaches. That's the other thing. Cockroaches and spiders. Um, so it's this sort of... Uh, fantastic world. There's no magic or anything like that. Besides the the fact that there are these races of these other creatures, um, there's there's no, nothing else fantastic about it. But it's this really interesting. Uh, it's got lots of action. It's got lots of drama and suspense. It's this really unique world that unfolds with these really intricate and interesting political dynamics and. It's unbelievable, riveting. I read the books first to Helen and then Nicole, uh, my wife, got uh, the audiobooks and they listened to them in the van with both the girls while they were driving around and she was absolutely riveted as well. You've, this is all vaguely, you've, told, you've mentioned these to me before, but I didn't realize that there was that much going on. Oh yeah, there, things. and like I said, any adult could pick these books up. It sounds, if, yeah. If you got a kid that's you know, I maybe read them to Helen a little on the early side because I have a bad habit of doing that. We've read like almost all the Harry Potter books and stuff at this point. Yeah, uh, we read The Hobbit. Um, yeah, I would say like, you know, seven, eight, nine on up. Um, you know, there is some some violence. There's you know, not like we're not talking. No one's getting their heads hacked off or anything like no, that. But no. we're talking about we are talking about societies at war and fighting for survival and things along those lines. So. Um, there is death, uh, 
but it's dealt with in a very tasteful fashion. Um, there's no, like, romance, really. Right. You know, there's no, like, kissing, and, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not a romance novel. It's, you know, it's keeps that stuff in check, you know. But um, absolutely well done, incredibly well done. There's um, this character who is uh, sort of, like, in between the, he's a rat, um, he's uh, called, oh, God, I, I remembered his name earlier early today, Rip Red is the name of this rat character who sort of mentors the Gregor character in, like, how to fight. Uh, and it's just this brilliant, absolutely brilliant, like, one of the best characters in fiction. No This character, shit. Rip Red. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking hell. How long are the books? They're not very long. You can, you can, uh, an adult could clip through them in, like, two, three days apiece, probably, okay. if you're, you know, if you read 50, 60 pages a day. Yeah. Uh, all available on your favorite e-reader. Uh, really good audiobooks as well if that's your thing otherwise you know you can pick up the at this point Suzanne Collins is in you know sure. the front of every bookstore and I'm I sure you know she's uh, I'll be interested to see what she does as a follow up obviously The Hunger Games has made her a household name and a sensation yeah um, it, at least among people who actually pay attention to who wrote the books that movies are based on <laughs> right. which maybe isn't as many people as, as I would love to think but yeah um, anyways the, yeah Check out these books, Gregor the Overlander series. You can pick them up as a box set of four at your favorite bookstore, or you can download them on Kindle or whatever e-reader. Cool. Oh, that's a good tip. You know, I can't, whenever you give the... Um, I've started using Goodreads. Do, do you use that? Yeah, I'm on Goodreads. Um, I, I, I find the whole... I use it as a discovery mechanism. I find the whole, like rating and adding if i added everything i read to that thing yeah it'd be like a full-time job i don't yeah same with like discogs is the same thing like i don't add all my records in there but i use it to keep track of stuff that i want to get you know so instead of the same way okay good yeah because for years it was just like i would put it on an amazon Wish list, on a wish list, or save for later, or something, and then it was just this long list of shit that I I didn't even remember. Yeah, it didn't work that that well. But this—that's kind of what I use it for. Is kind of a yeah, it's awesome. The other the other thing that Goodreads is good for is finding like-minded people who are reading in the same genres or reading, and you can see what else they're reading. That's cool. I, I, you know, I'm hungry for any any source of inspiration for new titles, and that's what I use Goodreads for as well. So. Cool. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's what I, like, when, because Jack, obviously, is too young for, my son's just a year and a half, but, you know, and your girls are older, so your tips I put in there for later. Um, so that won't go on the list. Um, my favorite author, um, I've actually talked about, my favorite uh, woman author, uh, female author, is Edith Wharton. Um, right. talked about her before, yeah, um, yeah. when we were talking about adaptations. Yep. Um, and she's kind of, this, this was pretty easy for me. She's always been, um, she's one of my favorite authors, period. Um, I just love her. Um, you know, she, um, Edith Wharton was a a child of, of privilege for sure. Um, she was born in, you know, what she termed, became famous for terming as the gold, the gilded age. Um, right. And she was born to... She wasn't eating any kale soup. Fuck no. No, (laughs) bitch was fucking tea and crumpets or whatever those people are eating. No, super rich. Um, Her her family were... um, 
like Dutch heritage or some shit, but they she was born in New York City, um, and her family name was Jones, um, and her f- keeping up with the Joneses is said to be a phrase made up after her family. Wow. So super, super rich. And being of that, um, that t- you know, that time and place in, you know, Manhattan, the that upper crust yep. of society, society yep. um, she started, she started writing when she was like 11 and 12. And um, her first, she got, pay- her first time she got paid for something was like a, she, tra- she, um, she translated some famous German poem or something when she was like 13 or 14. And, and then she wrote a, um, some short stories that got, had to get published under a pen name or something like that because, you know, people that, women didn't get their names right published. And, you know, you, if your name was in print, it was because you died or you got married or something. So her dad very much kind of clamped down on her as a writer. So, you know, she would publish under a pen name, and she had a family friend that would help her publish stuff. Um, but she, um, you know, I think she, she never was that happy here. She, I think, was like the, you know, and actually this is something I want to ask you about. You never hear her mentioned in the same breath as the Lost Generation, um, sort of the Hemingway... Right. Um, Fitzgerald, yep. like those guys that that went to Paris, in particular in the twenties, she was there. But you know, do, do, was she considered part of that group? I don't think so. I yeah. don't really hear her mentioned with okay. that sort of circle. But I, I'm kind of, I'm curious to know because I don't either. I've never, I've, and I've never made the associ- association like you know Isidore Duncan and like the classic like Lost Generation writers. She was in Paris at the at the same time as them. But somehow not in the same scene. I guess maybe because she was super fucking rich and living in, you know. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Maybe they're just like, fuck you. Haters gonna hate. (laughs) Haters gonna hate. But anyway, the reason she's... um, And and let me say this in her defense before... If if anybody's like me and just wanting to cut down the the bourgeoisie, I, I think it's... In her defense, she was very much a philanthropist at heart. Like, when... So she stayed when everybody bailed when when the Germans like stormed Belgium and you know everybody was bailing out of France and she stayed and was you know she was a philanthropist she was opening up soup kitchens and all kinds of stuff to help um, you know people that were refugees so she was a good woman anyway so if you're going to recommend a title for someone to start with where, where you go first I, I think she, she didn't have a ton of novels um, she won the Pulitzer Prize for The Age of Innocence, which is what we talked about, yeah. um, is one of my favorite adaptations, and it's definitely one of my favorite books. Um, she won the Pulitzer Prize for that in the late 20s, and that's... Um, I lived in Newport for many years, um, and I read that when I first moved to Newport, and, um, you know, it's it's historically, like, the places in... She, she it's not... It could almost be considered like um, historical fiction because what she wrote about was the sort of the goings on between these super rich families, you know, who split their time between Manhattan and Newport. Mm-hmm. And it was the small little things of the Gilded Age, the expectations, the, you know, 
the rumors and the constraints of that society that she was fascinated with in her writing. And that's what The Age of Innocence is about. Um, and she has this uncanny ability to put you inside somebody's head and see things that they're seeing. Like, she she has this... She's so efficient, too. Like, just her use of language is, I, I think, so advanced that... Um, yeah, you you can you're at the same time you're witnessing the conversation or you're witnessing whatever is taking place in the narrative as though you were at the table with them, but you're also inside the the person's head because you're hearing their inner dialogue at the same time. It's amazing what she's hmm. able to do. I I think she's just genius. Um her short stories are pretty famous as well. Um but her famous novels, Age of Innocence, Ethan Frome, um, right. Those are the yeah, big yeah. ones. Yeah, I've seen the movies. I can't say I've read either of those books, but you've you've actually you've sold me. I'm I'm going to read The Age of Innocence. Oh, you should, man. It's it's just amazing. It's so, um, and it's it's uh, you can escape too because we don't live like that. Nobody lives like right. that anymore. Well, you know? it sounds you know very similar to our discussion last time on the podcast about it. it's exposing this world and the details exactly. and the minutia of this world that's very unfamiliar especially now like you know for the vast majority of us that aren't in the one one percent and a lot of those rituals have gone away because they're from a bygone era so you're being exposed to this world unfamiliar world from someone who lived it day in and day out and has a very authentic experience of it and is an expert observer you're exactly right and it's so compelling you're just able to like live in this world that is so rich in a couple of different in a, on a couple of different ways. So she's easily my pick. Cool. All right. Well, that concludes another episode of Good Looking Out. Uh, thanks, as always, to Kaya Fisher for any audio engineering assistance. If you're listening to this and you think it sounds better than previous episodes, it is all thanks to Kaya. Um, so you can find us online at glopodcast.com. If you have any comments, you can email us at goodlookingoutpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at glopodcast. For anyone listening, if you do me a favor and go, if you like the podcast, you hate the podcast, either way, please go on the iTunes store and leave a ratings or a review for us. I would uh, I'd love to I'd see be that in too. your debt. Yeah. So... Uh, that's all for this week. Remember, life is too short to waste time and money on bad shit.